Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. There are decades when nothing happens, and there are weeks when decades happen. Not my words, but the words of Vladimir Lenin, who died in 1924, <laughs> who might well have been describing Tottenham Hotspur in April 2021. You're listening to the View from the Lane podcast. My name is Jack Pitbrook. I'm joined, as always, by James Moore. This is our second and hopefully final podcast in what I think has been one of the most dramatic weeks in the modern history of Tottenham Hotspur. Since the Everton game on Friday night, they have signed up to a coup against the fabric of world football, sacked their manager, appointed Ryan Mason as interim head coach, withdrawn from the Super League in humiliating circumstances, beaten Southampton 2-1 at home amid fan protests, and are now trying to save their season, win the League Cup at Wembley, get back into Europe, and find a new manager. The Dulux dog was only one week ago. Uh, James, you must be absolutely emotionally exhausted. I know I am. I'm emotionally exhausted just from that intro, let alone all that stuff actually happening. Uh, Yes, essentially, yes. It's been an absolutely ludicrous week to support Tottenham Hotspur. I'd genuinely forgotten about that stupid dog. Uh, (laughs) I think at the time I tweeted it, it was kind of ranked in the top 20 most humiliating things that happened to the club. And actually now it's probably slipped out of that list by by a margin. because 30, uh, yeah. Yeah, it has been absolutely ludicrous. Yeah, it's uh, that's what we're going to try on this podcast is to just pick through... Some of the bigger things that have happened the last week, I know we spoke briefly on Monday afternoon after Tottenham had announced the, the departure of Mourinho, which now amazingly feels like a footnote in this week somehow. It kind of feels like you know a minor event that's happened amidst everything else. Maybe Tottenham wanted it that way, I don't know. Let's start off with what you know the unambiguously good news of the week, which is that last night at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, Spurs play Southampton. Um, I was there. Spurs obviously won 2-1. And James, it was, given the circumstances, I thought they did really well. Yeah, I mean, it was really good to see Spurs grow into a game. I can't remember the last time I watched Tottenham play. uh, And they improved as the game wore on. I mean, I, I don't know if you can think of one. But generally, the theme has been over the last, over the season, really, they've started well and then kind of regressed. I guess those ones early in the season. Burnley away, maybe? Yeah, I mean, they scored late, but I don't think they played well yeah. at all, really, did West they? I mean, they certainly didn't play as yeah. well as they did in the second half yesterday. I mean, once, like, I mean Southampton uh, away, I guess you would yeah. say. I think they actually, from memory, they started okay in the first sort of 10 15, then fell out of the game, then equalised just before half time, and obviously were fantastic in the second half in that game. But I can't think there have been too many times this season where they play better in the second half than in the first half, so. I think as a fan, I mean, in a footballing sense, it probably doesn't really make massive difference. But I think as a fan, just in terms of like clinging to positives from a performance and from a game, it is much better for the good bit to be at the end than the start, right? Yeah, I completely agree with that. They were pretty bad in the first half. There's no getting past it. They were kind of sloppy. They were sort of slow on the ball. Saints, Saints just look much fitter and quicker and stronger than them. You know, Saints often do that. They've got, because um, of the way they play, they'll be brilliant for half of a game or 60 minutes of a game. And then obviously Danny Ings went off and Saints lost a bit of that bite. 
But the second half, you know, it, it was good to see Spurs trying to pass the ball, defending higher up the pitch. You know, it wasn't the case that they had. Dyer and Alderweireld were not sat on the penalty spot hacking the ball away for the whole second half, which is something we've got very used to. Spurs passed the ball well. I thought Lacelso grew into the game. I thought Ndombele wasn't brilliant in the first half at all, really, but he grew into the game. And by the end, they were playing some really good stuff. Like that, the goal that was disallowed, the Son goal that was disallowed by VAR, which I think was kind, you, you can kind of see why it was disallowed because Lucas was in the goalkeeper's sightline. That was such a good move. The way they played through yeah. through yeah. the whole pitch, that was really, really good football. I love watching that, James. I'm sure you did too. There were definitely a few kind of positive signs in the second half of things that I don't think we've seen loads of in the last couple of months. Like kind of, chasing the ball towards the end of the game when you know that they were 2-1 up in those last few minutes you know six minutes of injury time in the last couple of minutes of the 90 and they're chasing the ball in the Southampton half trying to win it back higher up the pitch trying to keep Southampton you know penned into their own kind of defensive third and that is definitely definitely not what you would have seen in previous matches as you say you would have seen the ball hoiked into the Tottenham box and you know Dyer or viral whoever else dropping in trying to hack it out uh and, you know, when you play like that, you're obviously inviting pressure and you're inviting opportunities for the opposition to get an equaliser one way or another. So, yeah, it was good to see Spurs play on the front foot, even when they were in front as well. And I know they weren't in front for that much of the game, so it was only a sort of, what, eight-minute window or whatever. But, I mean, I think it's pretty telling that even in the 95th minute, Spurs were, you know, there were Spurs players herring around after Southampton players in possession in their defensive third when I'm sure they were a bit knackered as well. So, uh, yeah, it, 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 I don't think... Yeah, it would be, I think it'd be foolhardy to say it was an incredible performance by any metric, but uh, it would, there were a lot of encouraging signs, I'd say. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And I think you, I think you could see the players look like they were enjoying themselves a bit more. Certainly at the end, they looked incredibly relieved and happy to have won that game, which was, you know, yeah. their first league win in a while. Um, and on an individual level, I was really. I think it's it's so good and important to see Bale reintegrate into the team. He obviously scored a fantastic goal for the equaliser. He didn't really get in the game much in the first half, to be honest, but his goal was brilliant. And, you know, I did see a lot of Spurs fans saying, well, why didn't we play this guy all season? Yeah, that that was like the main emotion from, you know, what I saw on Twitter and from talking to friends as well after the game and, and in the last kind of half hour after that goal. People are just annoyed, really, that they've been denied like the opportunity to see that more often than they have. And, uh, you know, you think about it, he basically played in that one month of the season when Spurs won more or less every game. Um, you know, obviously they played better in the autumn, as we've said many times, but in that kind of spell, what was it, sort of February, I guess it was. Yeah. He made such a big difference. And I talked a lot about the positivity among the fans as much as anything else. And, and look, I mean, that is a less tangible thing when there's no fans in the stadium. I, I, you know, in terms of your enjoyment of supporting your football club, like to see a fantastic player who is a loved player as well, you know, on, on the basis of what he's done in his first spell, to actually see him given opportunities to play and do what he does, which is which is what he did, did what he did yesterday, um, and create incredible moments. That's kind of all you can ask, really. That's <laughs> what you want to see, and you know, that the Spurs team this season has been so. It's felt so lacking in moments, really. I mean, there are players there who can provide them. Obviously, you know, Kane and Son we've talked about to death and Dombele has had a few. Yeah. Celso, maybe one or two, Lamella, whoever. But Bale is a player who will provide, like, a moment a game. And actually, to be honest, there were two yesterday. There was the goal and there was that back heel to Son in the second half oh, as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, Like that, like, little moment of ingenuity that, you know, and that easily could have been a goal. You know, Son took a touch and got that shot away and if that doesn't get blocked, I think that's probably going in the bottom corner. So... 
Yeah, I, I don't think Bale has ever really been a player who like dominates matches. I mean, no. I, you know, the San Siro in 2010, that's a long time ago. <laughs> and even then, I mean, the two of those goals were like in injury time, weren't they? It's not like he was kind of running that game. Yeah. It, it is baffling. I mean, I think we, you know, we, we all have a vague idea of what's... Uh, of what's happened there and the agendas that are at play. But um, I, the, I think what is going to be the most frustrating thing come the end of the season is that Spurs are going to finish like two points for, off the Champions League. And yeah. it's going to feel like if this had all happened a month ago, or the managerial stuff, I mean, not all the other nonsense. If this had all happened a month ago, maybe they would have found like the other two or three points at the end of the season may make a massive difference. Because you, yeah. I mean, just look at it, you look at the fixtures that are left, you look at how far ahead the, the teams ahead are, you know, Leicester are now going to be slightly distracted by the cup final. West Ham have had a little bit of a wobble. Yeah, you know, considered a lot of goals in the last few games. West Ham, I think ten in the last four. Chelsea, loads of games, having a little, have had a couple of little wobbles against teams you'd expect them to beat in the last couple of weeks. Obviously, you know, FA Cup, Champions League, Liverpool, you know, Liverpool drop points this week as well. You kind of look at it and think, well, none, none of those teams are going to win every game, and yeah. the Spurs can come in and you know they've got still got Aston Villa at home, Wolves at home, Sheffield United at home. Who are the other two? Leeds away, is it Leicester away? Is that is that it? Five. I think so, yeah. I mean, obviously, Leeds and Leicester are very tough games, but Leeds is certainly a winnable one. And Leicester, last game of the season, you know, they may have had top four by then, and obviously they're in the FA Cup final, so they may be distracted by that. So you can look yeah. at those fixtures and think there is a possibility that Spurs could get a decent number of points on the board there between now and the end if they're driven and motivated and happy. But I still think it might just see them fall that little bit short, and I think that's going to be incredibly frustrating if it does pan out that way. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't be at all surprised. I think it's uh, like you say, James, getting into fourth. I fear will just be beyond them. Although I am now more optimistic that they will be able to finish in a position which gets them Europa League football for next season, which is you know it's not the best, but it's better than nothing. But Spurs do have the possibility of a really very successful. Ryan Mason interim era in the sense that on Sunday they've got the Wembley League Cup final which is um, again like the Mourinho sacking does feel slightly like it's been dwarfed a bit by events off the pitch but it's a really yeah I'm I'm really excited to see how this game goes like you know I've got to be honest I'm not optimistic about Tottenham's chances because you know they've got a manager managing his second game in senior football and he will only have been in the job six days that said you know, anything can happen in the finals. Spurs obviously have, you know, Spurs are not, this isn't like City against Wigan in 2013, which is a game that obviously City lost. Uh, Spurs have got some brilliant individual players uh, who can make a difference, as we saw last night, and hopefully they'll have Harry Kane back. And of course, City, I think, you know, I think City will probably play a team like the one that lost to Chelsea in the FA Cup semi-final last Saturday. They've obviously got PSG in the Champions League a few days later, assuming that game goes ahead, which I think it probably will do, but we'll probably have to wait for confirmation. So yeah, James, Spurs underdogs, but kind of positive underdogs, I guess. But Dial hasn't shifted that much to kind of swing Spurs too much closer to Man City. I'd say maybe a couple a couple of notches up on the scale. I think I am mixing metaphors there, aren't I? Notches up on the scale, yeah. Yeah, yeah, whatever. But yeah, I, I think that's the feeling about that game now. It's just totally different, isn't it? You know, you talked a bit about like the looks on players' faces towards the end of the game last night and it felt like, you know, the celebration of a Son penalty... I, pretty much every player was there in the huddle. You know, Aurier was doing his thing and going absolutely mad. So uh, the, the sense of relief, I think, that they, a lot of those players will have felt. Again, you had to kind of separate the managerial thing and the Super League thing, which I guess uh, will also have hung over the players this week. I'm slightly more confident than I was, um, th- than I was say, a week ago. 
Uh, and I think the possibility of Bale playing in that game and again providing a moment, yeah, I, I think just increases Spurs' chances of that tiny bit because I think uh, with Mourinho in charge, and again, you know, he has beaten Manchester or he did beat Manchester City twice yeah. in his time as Tottenham manager, so you can't like, disregard that one of those times of outgame, of course. But I think we know how they would have played, yeah, and I suspect definitely. it would have been similar to the setup at Everton. I think that was kind of the thinking there, wasn't it? From what uh, well, people were saying. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. And you know, pack, pack the team with defenders, a couple of defensive midfielders, try and hack balls up to Harry Kane and so on, and see what happens. I mean, look, it has won Spurs games, <laughs> yeah. but quite a long time ago now, and I think the the, the defensive solidity has continued uh, as we've established. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't think that would have been a particularly enjoyable experience for Spurs fans, and I think you know. I, their strength is in attack, and that's the way they should take. That's they should take the game to Manchester City, and I think they'll do that now. Yeah, I can definitely see Spurs scoring. You know, City are not unstoppable at the back. No John stones Stone's now. Yeah, John Stones obviously going to be suspended, having got sent off in the game at Villa Park last night, which means Laporte will come in, who's obviously a very good player, but not City's first choice. So I can definitely see that Spurs team scoring. I just, I just worry that if Spurs do score, City will then just also score. City will be able to cut through them, but. Obviously, like it's, it's a final, and we know City want to win this competition. They've won it loads of times in the yeah. last few years. Was it four of the last five or whatever? Yeah. But how seriously do you think they'll take it now? But you know, they've had a bit of a wobble in the league. I know they won last night, but it, I don't know, it massively convincing. Uh, United are what, like seven points behind now. So uh, yeah. you know, it, it's obviously City's to lose, but they do they do still need to win like what, like three matches, say. Three matches, yeah. And obviously, we think they're going to have Champions League games next week or a Champions yeah. League game next week. How? How strong a side do you think City will play? Do you think they'll rotate again? Because that, that team that played against Chelsea, I, I, it all seemed a bit odd to me. It didn't quite work. Did yeah, it? I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if it is like that team. You know, maybe, I don't know, maybe Zach Steffen will, step, will play in goal again. Uh, Fernandinho will come back in. Maybe, I mean, Zinchenko actually played last night. Maybe... It's strange, you know, maybe Jesus, maybe Sterling. So not not bad players. Je- but Jesus, sorry. Can we at least say Jesus so it doesn't sound weird? No, actually, my uh, my stance on this now is calling him Gabriel Jesus. Je- Jesus is a word that exists in English. It's fine to... I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I just I just don't like doing the, the Jesus thing. It's, it just weirds me out. Anyway, um, uh, Harry Kane. Uh, obviously, Harry Kane picked the up... Real a, Jesus. Again, this, this is the kind of here yeah. uh, again another story that would be a huge story in any other week, but it's now just a footnote. Uh, so Harry Kane picked up a ankle injury on Friday uh, when Spurs played at Everton. Uh, he was scanned on Saturday. I gather that scan was uh, not very bad. It's not a bad ankle injury. It's not like one of these six to eight week ones which he's had in the past. That said, he you know he's obviously missed training at the start of this week. He wasn't involved yesterday. He was there at the ground watching it in the stands. I think they're just taking it day by day. You know, it's a case of you know seeing can he train on Thursday, can he train on Friday. I think you know obviously I think they do anything possible to get him on the pitch. But I guess we just have to wait and see on on that. I I think in terms of changes, James, I if he's fit, I bring Kane for Lucas who played as number nine last night. I didn't think he was especially good. Beyond that, I don't know. Would you make any other change? Would you bring in Winks for Ndombele? Would you bring in... I'm not sure I'd bring in Lamella. It's a tough one, isn't it? Because that, that midfield three that played last night, uh, and that that was the three that we were kind of calling for at the start of the season that we were desperate yeah. to see. And then when we have seen it, and not just last night, but it's not it's not really worked, has it? There's something about that sort of Ndombele, Lo Celso combination that... I don't want to say they're luxury players, but they kind of are, aren't they? They're not players who, like... 
They're not players who, sort of similar to what I was saying about Bale, they're yeah. not players who like run a game, who dictate the tempo, who have their foot on the ball loads. They're kind yeah. of players who drift in and out and come up with the odd moment of brilliance. Yeah. Uh, do so, do something that looks amazing that maybe isn't necessarily the most productive way to use the football. Yeah, uh, be, be great fun to watch, but but not yeah, but maybe not exactly help the team control the football match. Yeah, quite. And, and, you know, you want players who do things like that because they're going to be able to unlock the door when you're playing. It's like a packed defence or whatever. Um, but whether or not Spurs can accommodate two players like that in midfield, I guess, is a slightly different question. And if I was going to drop one, I would probably say Lascelles just purely because. And Dombele, I think, has had a better season. It's slightly higher ceiling in terms of performance. Yeah. Whether or not you then bring in Winks, that's a difficult one. I mean, Sissoko, I'd say historically, he's had some pretty good games against Manchester City. Yeah. I don't know if that necessarily means you want to put him in there. Maybe that is the pragmatic decision, putting Sissoko in. I don't know whether that's what Mason will do or not. No. uh, I do agree with you that the NHL midfield hasn't really delivered. And I just think... I just think neither Lo Celso nor Ndombele is quite complete or defensive enough to cover for the other one. Yeah. I think you really need one of those two to be able to do a lot more defensive work. And um, it just doesn't... It hasn't quite worked yet. I think, in my mind, I think Ndombele is your kind of maverick and then Lo Celso is the guy who does everything. But Lo Celso just hasn't been quite there in terms of fitness and performance this season. I guess I think with Ndombele, and this sort of does apply to Lo Celso as well, like you don't they're not really consistently creative enough to play as a number 10 yeah but also as you say they're not maybe positionally disciplined enough or or kind of diligent enough when it comes to covering to play like as the 8 or whatever in midfield with Hoiberg so (laughs) where do you play them? The other thing to mention about Sunday is there's going to be fans there's going to be I think what 2,000 Tottenham fans there 2,000 City fans and then uh, a few thousand fans from the local area I think an NHS worker which is really cool like obviously Spurs haven't played in front of fans since November I think December it would have been uh, it, I think December yeah so that that'll be good it'll be much more like real football I'm going to the game I'm really really excited about it James you did you apply for a ticket or yeah I applied for a ticket and didn't get one so I'm uh, yeah, I'm incredibly bitter about that. Well, it's going to be interesting. I'm sorry for you. It's going to be you, interesting. Yeah, you enjoy yourself, mate. Don't worry I'm not about rubbing it. it in. I'm genuinely not rubbing it in. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see what the atmosphere's like. You know, I'm sure the fans will be very positively behind Mason and the team, um, despite, you know, everything that's gone on this week. I actually think Mason is a very good kind of... Uh, you know, he's, for Spurs fans, it's great to have someone who they can be so, like, unambiguously and positively supportive of. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'm sure they'll be very, yeah. very pro-Mason. And it should be a nice atmosphere. Yeah, that will be interesting. I mean, I guess the thing is when you've got... Because I think it'll be like 2,000 Spurs fans, right? Yeah. Um, And I think some of them are sort of... Uh, whatever they're called, executive members or whatever, basically corporate yeah. people. Um, So, I, I, you know, when you have that number of people sort of rattling around one massive chunk of Wembley I think it's probably quite difficult to get any sort of vociferous uh, targeted abuse at yeah. uh, any any members of the board uh, so I, I, I don't imagine unless something happens outside the ground beforehand I don't know if there'll be some kind of coordinated thing between the two sets of fans as well that wouldn't necessarily surprise me that's not me saying that I've heard something by the way Yeah. but yeah it, it will be it, I mean I think it's the first game with two sets of fans Properly, I mean, I know in that FA Cup yeah, final last be. week, uh, there, there were kind of, I think there were sort of some fans of the two teams, but officially it was like NHS and local sort of Brent yeah. residents, right? But this is the first game with 
like a proper allocation of fans for two teams since was it like that Villa Leicester game in the Premier League in like March and I suppose the Liverpool Champions League one that Atletico Madrid game that everyone always talks about as being like a sort of uh, super spreader event so yeah it'll be yeah, quite yeah. it'll be quite weird to kind of have that I mean again you know it's quite hard to kind of get that sort of back and forth going with so few people in a massive stadium but it will be quite interesting to see if there's any uh sort of jovial stick yeah yeah it, it's gonna be good I'm, I'm really looking forward to it and now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream direct tv satellite free hey frank a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get direct tv what's the little birdie was it jimmy the sparrow it's a figure of speech point is you can stream direct tv over the internet now oh sure next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people right <laughs> you mean airplanes Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The last time we did a podcast was Monday afternoon, a few hours after Tottenham had announced the sacking of Jose Mourinho. It's obviously, you know, it's been a crazy week, but I think it's worth coming back a little bit. Just just to look back on that, James, really, it will still go down as one of the biggest decisions that Daniel Levy's ever had to make, that dismissal. And if you can detach it a bit from um, Super League and everything else, which you will come to at the end of this podcast. James, how are you feeling about it? Do you think it was the right decision now the dust has settled a bit? Yeah, yeah, I think so, yeah. I mean, it, it does seem, you know, I, I, and you've written a fantastic piece, if you don't mind me saying, about, with the help of some of our colleagues, we should say, yeah. by the way, I don't want you to take all the credit, about what went wrong for Mourinho. I'm sorry, and you can talk about some of the details in that because, you know, I'm sure you'd like to pick yourself up a little bit. But yeah, I mean, it sounds like things weren't exactly on the whole going, going smoothly on the training ground for the last couple of months, let's say. Uh, yeah. And I, you can kind of see that on the pitch or you could kind of see that on the pitch. And I think even on, the, on Wednesday night, you could see in the first half there was still that kind of tension and, and that nervousness that I think it seemed like kind of ebbed the way through the game and actually they kind of found a bit more confidence and a bit more positivity as the performance kind of progressively improved. We were incredibly positive about Jose Mourinho when things are going well and then we were quite negative when things are going badly, which I know some people will think is fickle, which I suppose is fair enough. But I I, I will speak as a fan rather than a journalist for a second. Like I really did not enjoy those last couple of months. It felt incredibly frustrating 
watching the team play consistently in that kind of regressive, defensive, yeah. negative way. Watching Tottenham was an ordeal. And, you know, you get people traditionally will kind of buy into that style of football when the team is getting results. And, you know, there have been teams who have obviously done that, including Mourinho teams, particularly at Inter. I think their football wasn't always great. I mean, I know they had some very yeah. good attacking players, but there were a lot of matches like that as well. But once those results fall away, and you can tell the players are, <laughs> are miserable and hating it, uh, and would rather be anywhere else. Yeah, I think it's. Uh, I think it's almost. I know you say it's a difficult decision with Daniel Levy, but I think it probably should have been quite an easy one, really. Yeah, I think that's all fair enough. Uh, I think we can tell that things were heading very clearly in the wrong direction ever since Christmas. That was true of results and performances. And just the the negative atmosphere that is really the, the side effect, the byproduct of how Mourinho manages. You know, it's all about disruption and confrontation and pr- provocation and all these, all these methods. And, you know, they have been very, very successful. And he is, you know, he has been a real master psychologist and master tactician when it comes to getting the best out of players. But you know, I mean, we said it so many times, but it remains true. He's just, he just struggles to get the best out of modern, modern players. And I think the story of his time at Tottenham is that, yeah, you know, a handful of players did like him, and a handful of players did play very well for him. We've seen, you know, some social media tributes paid to Mourinho by, by Lucas and Kane and Son, for example. You know, some of the guys who did really well, but a lot of the players just weren't performing for him. And I know people say the players have to take responsibility, and I get that, but ultimately the manager is paid to get the players to play well and Mourinho wasn't getting the players to play well uh, you know we wrote in our story it wasn't just that the players didn't like the tactics which I thought a lot of the time I thought were negative but they didn't like the training sessions uh, the, the constant focus on how do we win this game or that game or how do we beat this team or stop that team rather than you know what sort of football do we want to play how do we want to how can we dominate games? Another detail that we include in, this, in the piece is that his number two, João Sacramento, was very unpopular with the players, which I suppose is the risk that you take when you get a fairly unproven coach in his early 30s and give him such a big job. So I think that was a factor as well. And the other factor, I think, is just Mourinho's constant, constant criticism of the players in public, which, I, again, you know, tactically this exists to get the players to play well. But in practice, I think it just has the effect of looking like the manager is blaming the players when everything goes wrong. And that happened... It happened almost every week um, at the start at the start of this calendar year, and obviously Mourinho was told not to do it by the club. Obviously, he continued to do that, and then by the end, we found Mourinho saying, "Oh, you know, I can't say what I want. I wish I could, but I can't," uh, because he knew that he wasn't meant to. But I think with that, you kind of knew the writing was on the wall, really, because he was acting so constrained by by this situation. So yeah, it's uh, it's all over now. Uh, it's been it was very dramatic and interesting and exciting 17 months I think I can totally understand why Tottenham fans didn't enjoy it personally I thought it was in some parts interesting but then also other parts did feel quite repetitive not least especially having covered him when he was uh, back at Chelsea uh, 2013-2015 and yeah I guess I I hope that I'm sure James does as well that Tottenham can you know draw a line under this and move forward You'll need to subscribe to The Athletic to read that piece on Jose Mourinho's departure. If you're not already a subscriber, you can sign up now with a 40% discount for £3.99 a month. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash SpursPod. That's theathletic.com forward slash SpursPod. 
But the biggest story really this week, even bigger than Harry Kane's injury or Mourinho's sacking or Ryan Mason's appointment or the League Cup final, has been Tottenham joining the Super League and then pulling out of it two days later, which is just the, I think it's the big, is this the biggest story in sport history? I don't know. Maybe it is. You know, it's kind of an existential threat to the organisation of the running and running of the game and an attempt to, you know, pull the biggest teams out of the existing competitions. It's just unprecedented. And yeah, it's obviously upset an awful lot of people, James. And, you know, there were lots of Spurs fans yesterday with Enoch out, Levy out, banners, which are pro- probably, I mean, look, there weren't lots, but... It was, there wasn't nobody either. And I imagine it's probably the biggest anti-Enic protest since Tottenham tried to move to Stratford 10 years ago. Yeah, I would imagine so, yeah. yeah. I mean, also, look, you've got to factor in the fact, that obviously, one, pandemic. Two, the game kicked off at six o'clock, so people were probably mostly still working. And yeah. three, they'd already pulled out of the thing the day before or the night before. So yeah. I think if it hadn't been for that combination of things, there probably would have been quite a few more people there. I assume that they speak for a lot of Tot- like a lot of Tottenham fans, even if they're not calling for Enoch to go, they're certainly very upset by Tottenham joining the Super League. Yeah, I mean, I've not, I've not seen or spoken to a, pers- a Spurs fan who has said they were pro Super League, even though Spurs being involved in that is perhaps quite a generous uh, offering yeah. in a footballing sense. The thing that amazes me most about the whole thing, and this isn't a Spurs-specific thing, is that they just weren't at all prepared for any kind of backlash, and they had no like, they had no sort of prepared statements for people finding out about it, people being pissed off about it. You know, they announced a the thing at half past eleven on a Sunday night, you know, half past one in the morning in a lot of the countries where the others teams play, yeah. and, and that just tells you so much about these people and the way they think that, that everyone else is just going to kind of fall into line, or that it doesn't even matter what people think. Uh, and the fact that you know even players haven't been consulted on this or managers you know if you're the owners of Liverpool and Jurgen yeah. Klopp is your manager like he he is so central to the success of that football club as as a football club and as a business entity yeah. as a brand that you can't like make a decision like that and not ever consult with someone like that I mean Spurs obviously don't have that situation if Pochettino is still the manager and you know you would maybe yeah. say the same thing but you know, pl- players as well seemingly just were completely caught out by it. And it, it, these sort of six or twelve men, or I suppose groups of men at these twelve clubs, I, I just I'm, I'm just completely staggered. I mean, I know you shouldn't be because you know people yeah. that have that much money are generally dickheads. Um, but I'm just completely staggered that they thought they would get away with it because they had no like yeah. they had no plan. You know, yeah. they've supposedly been plotting this for a, for a prolonged period. Not, it's not like they come up with it overnight. And they've just like not been prepared for any kind of questioning on it. They've not, none of these people have been willing to come out and openly talk about it. Now, we've, all we've heard from Daniel Levy on it is that one sentence in that, you know, mealy-mouthed apology yeah. that we got 24 hours later or 48 hours later. I just don't really understand how they thought they were going to get away with it. If they've given up that quickly, I mean, I can see how you think you're going to get away with it if you just plough on and just do it. Yeah. But they've given up so easily, relatively speaking. Like, I mean, what I can't understand, did they not expect people to object to it? Yeah, I think they, they could never have expected the fan, the amount of fan protest or the political reaction from the UK government. But it, to me, that just shows how much they were winging no, no, it. No, no, I they disagree were... with that. Of course they could. No, 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 sorry, they didn't expect it. Oh, right, sorry. But that's that's their fault because they didn't 
planet. They were winging it from day one, which just shows how kind of shambolic and amateurish it is. You know, the whole thing is just, yeah, it's just a complete shambles. And as a football fan, I have to say, I got more and more angry about it as Monday and Tuesday went on. Like, what, what gives them the right to do this? Just because you happen to own the biggest clubs at that particular point of time doesn't mean that you have the right to destroy the way that football's played and organised. The, the thing that's really uh, annoyed me with regards to Levy in all of this is that he's completely disregarded like the journey that he has been on with a football club. And, and there are kind of parallels with the Mourinho thing, actually, him appointing Mourinho. So he appointed Mourinho, like the superstar Hollywood coach, yeah. big name, you know, generally a succeeder with like a big budget, you know, you get into Porto, fine, whatever. But he's generally a guy who's been able to go to a club, spend loads of money, get the players he wants, put together a really good team, win, tri- win titles, fall out of people, leave. Obviously, he couldn't do that at the time because he didn't have the budget, so it didn't work. What has worked for Levy has been bringing in like a more diligent coach who's had a longer term vision, you know, wants to work with players, improve players on an individual basis, and then create a better team with a good ethos, you know, everyone pulling in the same direction and not being loads of like bickering and whatever, everyone on the same page. Uh, but yeah, clearly. Levy disregarded that and then went in the other direction and it didn't work and then hopefully, you know, he'll move, he'll swing back slightly towards uh, a coach rather than a manager, which is what Spurs need, a team like Spurs need. And the parallel with the Super League thing is that Spurs haven't kind of been an established mega club in the same way that Madrid or Barcelona, Manchester United, uh, even Liverpool, Arsenal are or were or have been. They've built their way up. In a in a like a way more legitimate way than any of those other teams, or certainly in modern terms, certainly like Man City or Chelsea. If you look at you know they've with the greatest of respect effectively bought their way into that over the course of the last decade, fifteen years, right? Yeah, by yeah. spending a load of money on players, and you know I'm not going to get into the moral issues surrounding all of that now. But, but the way Spurs have got into that position is by developing players, like slowly spending and investing, building the stadium. You know, growing the club on a gradual basis over sort of a similar period of time, really, uh, and got got into a Champions League final eventually in 2019, which is an incredible achievement. Only one of those other 12 clubs has been in a Champions League final more recently than Spurs. Think about that. And he <laughs> he's completely disregarded that journey. Yeah. In, in create in helping create the Super League, that's going to stop things like that happening. It's absolutely insane that someone like him, of all people, would like want to work like that. Another way of looking at it, and this is not to defend. Levy or Super League at all is that over the course of 20 years of Enoch owning Tottenham it's all been about building the brand of the club building the value of the club and you know how better to build the value of the club than to get it into this Super League um, if the Super League were to work you know it's guaranteed revenues it's controlled costs it, you know Spurs are not Spurs are not in the Champions League this year they're probably not going to be in the Champions League next year if the Super League had happened then Spurs would be playing Real Madrid and Juventus every week and you know in that sense it would have really been the culmination of the training ground, the stadium, the uh, Amazon, Mourinho, Gareth Bale, Alex Morgan, all that stuff in the last few years, which has been about growing the brand of the club to a point at which Spurs' valuation would be a lot. Um, so I, I, I guess I, it kind of, I kind of, I do understand the business side thinking, but I just think it's, you know, morally unjustifable basically to uh which is unsporting isn't it it's business yeah, it's to destroy it's business like this. head and shoulders above sport by a yeah, long distance and, yeah and I, I have to say i was pleasantly surprised by guardiola's comments not just him but lots of people you know 
UEFA, Seferin, uh, players Alex Shaw and sorry, Alex Shaw, Luke Shaw, Ander Herrera, um, uh, Bruno Fernandez, and everything. But what 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 I really liked about it is the fact that fans of the teams involved came out so strongly against it. I was, I, I genuinely, and I got this wrong, I was worried on Sunday night that some fans would be saying, oh, why shouldn't we go and do this? Why shouldn't we go and play in the Super League? We're going to win the Super League, that sort of thing. But there wasn't any of that at all. Yeah. None of that at all. I was really pleased with how, you know, whether it's Chelsea, City, Tottenham, whoever, the fans said, no, this is wrong for football. It's wrong for our club, but more importantly, it's wrong for football. And even though our clubs are the richest at the moment, we still have an interest in the fabric of football. I was so touched by that Chelsea the Chelsea fan with the, with the placard saying, we want our cold, wet, rainy nights at Stoke City. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think that is, a, that is an important thing that I think fans of other clubs probably should remember more than anything else is the fans of those six clubs that have sort of yeah. made the difference. I mean, like, I mean, obviously, like the interventions by, you know, you talked about Guardiola and I mentioned Klopp and those players as well. Obviously, that was important. Um, and yeah. I'm sure that the threat of sanctions, I'm sure, made quite a big difference too. But I think, you know, had there been buy-in from fans, if it had been universally approved by the fans of those 12 clubs, then I think that would be enough justification for them to push on. But clearly... Yeah, completely. I completely agree. Like, I saw... Um... I saw a tweet the other night saying, "Oh, the fans of the big, the fans of the big six have been pretty quiet about this." I thought it was complete bollocks. The fans of the big six have been really good about this. They've really, they've spoken up for themselves and for the interest of the game, and they've been able to say, you know, they haven't just seen it through the lens of club rivalry and club partisanship. Uh, whoever that person was needs to look at any tweet made by any of those six clubs between that announcement and them pulling out. Because every single one of those tweets and all six of those clubs will have been like inundated with replies from fans of that club saying, like, hashtag, whatever it was, you know, destroy yeah. European Super League or whatever it was. Uh, that was just, that is absolute nonsense. Yeah, and I think, I, I, I think I'm it was like Danny a, Baker. Oh, Danny Baker. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Okay, fine. <laughs> uh, I, 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 yeah, it is. Yeah, I've been really impressed by that. I've got to say, and I was, I like you, I was worried, and I was more worried about Spurs just because I didn't want to be embarrassed by our fans. Yeah. Uh, but it, yeah, it was great. The, rea- the re- reaction to it was really good. And like you know, like I was saying before, Spurs probably had more to gain there than any of those other clubs uh, in a sporting sense. Well, in a sort of quasi-sporting sense and financially. And yeah, I, I'm, I was delighted that. Uh, the response was as vociferous as it was. Yeah, it's actually left me with a quite a warm and positive feeling, really, in the sense that, look, obviously football is hugely, huge, huge structural problems, which are going to be very difficult to sort out. And obviously, you know, football remains, you know, the most powerful people in football remain the big clubs. But on Sunday night, I didn't think fans could stop this, and then they did. And I hope that this shows that it's not, you know, clubs cannot always have their way. And football is bigger than them you know football is bigger than what John Henry and Joel Glazer and Abu Dhabi and everyone else thinks and Florentino Perez you know Florentino Perez is not bigger than football I mean obviously you know the reality is they'll still try and move towards this but it'll be just a way more gradual process yeah, than probably than, than they've tried to implement here so uh, yeah, hopefully that will be a small a small glimpse of light in what's been a pretty uh, difficult week uh, for everyone really that, that and Ryan uh, Mason 
that and Ryan Mason. And then, of course, there's, there's Sunday to look forward to at Wembley, which hopefully will be a very positive, uh, an unambiguously positive occasion, whatever the result. I think that's probably all we've got time for on this week's podcast. I felt like we've tried to cram in as much as we can. Uh, thank you very much, James and producer Tom. Thank you to everyone who's reached out, especially people with questions, especially to people with questions we didn't answer. Uh, we, have, we have had actually some brilliant questions in the last few weeks, which we'll probably never get around to. So <laughs> thank you for taking the time to write in. Uh, we'll be back probably at our normal time next week. We'll record on Monday, the day after the final, where we'll look back at Wembley. We'll see what happens. Hopefully, there will be no attempts to destroy the organisation of football next week. And hopefully, no Tottenham managers will be sacked next week. And then, you know, we can our lives will hopefully get a little bit more normal. But let's wait and see. The Athletic.